There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Things are only impossible until they're not. Welcome to The Captain's Chair, a podcast on all shows in the Star Trek universe on the Fangirl Zone. I'm Sean Fangirl S, and joining me on the mission into the unknown... The courageous redshirt Dave. Please don't kill me off in this episode. (laughs) And I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and today we'll be discussing episode two of season two of Star Trek Card. Oh my god. So this was good. I have to ask, like, initial reactions. Like, I want to talk about more, but we're going to, of course, get into it, because I will tell you, I was just like, what? So there was a lot of that happening for me. So Dave, what, or do you want to save yours if you have some witty... Witticism from me? (laughs) Witty foil-wrapped witticism. We can have Steve go first, if you'd like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I can tell you about my man crush on uh, Patrick Stewart. Don't ever leave us, Patrick Stewart. Don't ever. (laughs) He's so great. I know we're not doing any uh, ratings on it, but if we did, I'd give it another four out of five circles of of hell. (laughs) Coffee. Who put that in my cup? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I love his expressions, even the subtle ones when he looks to the side or acts arrogant. He is the best. I have to agree. This was an amazing episode. Just like you to put him in this type of a situation. And just as you think they've gotten away, they haven't. So, yeah, I found this really interesting because there's a lot of questions. And obviously, as we go through the rest of the season, I know they'll be answered. At least I assume they'll be answered. But I was just, yeah, a lot of, what, what, what? So, yeah, I think, like, the dog was, like, tilting her head a lot because my voice was going so high. (laughs) So we do have a little bit of news, though. Yes. Filming for season three is completed. I am super psyched about that because, honestly, I didn't think it was going to start yet. But right. I mean, no, they, so as soon as they finished season two, they started filming season three just to try to get it over with, I guess. I have wow. literal goosebumps right now. Like, I do. I'm not even kidding. See my arm right now. I've got goosebumps because I'm so excited. That means it's like, ooh, where are we going? Where are we going to end? Wait, right. are they well, not going to answer all the questions? <laughs> the end of this season is going to be right the back to the next. scene where <laughs> Loris and Picard were... Right there, nose to nose, and yes, instead yes. of not kissing her, he will kiss her. And then the final episode, the final scene of season three will be Laris giving birth to a new <laughs> Picard and holding oh it up God. like Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> All right, oh. folks, you heard it here first, out of Steve's mouth, so write it down. We'll have to see if that's how it plays out. <laughs> and yes, we know nothing. Picard will look at them lo- lovingly and say, oh, he has your ears. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave, why don't you take us into it? Now All I'm right. just going to have this picture in my head of a little baby Jean-Luc <laughs> with big ears. 
Bald, of course. Yes. <laughs> else? Yes, episode two, Penance. Of course, Penance. Will Picard ever get out from under this guy? Picard finds himself, nope, <laughs> finds himself <laughs> transported to an alternate timeline in the year 2400, where his longtime nemesis, Q, has orchestrated one final trial. Picard searches for his trusted crew as he attempts to find the cause of the dystopian future. Hey, wait, before we jump in, I have a question for you two. Okay. Because I don't remember if it was canon or if it was something that was like a dream of cards. Because we were talking about the last Picard. I thought he had a nephew. Because I remember something about that. Yes. Okay. His brother had a child. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so there was somebody. I was just... Yes. I'm sorry, that's been bugging me all week. And I was like, wait a second. So the last of his particular bloodline. Right. Got it. Okay. Just needed to clarify. Sorry. Yeah. The nephew didn't die in the fire? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Everyone's dead. It's just him. Yep. That's right. Yep. The tragic backstory right there. Yeah, I know. (laughs) In this episode of Penance, this guy hasn't paid enough already. Come on. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Well, we pick up right where we left off on this different Earth, where the air pollution is setting off alarms. A far cry from the planet John Luke calls home. I think our planet sets off a few alarms, too. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. He runs outside to see for himself, and Q confirms that they're on Earth, just not the one Jean-Luc is familiar with. He also stresses how pivotal Picard is to what's happening, as well as clarifying that Jean-Luc is in a situation of his own and humanity's own making. As Admiral Picard becomes increasingly enraged by the situation in Q's games, Q is uncharacteristically emotional in his response. So weird to see. Yes. I was like, something's not right. Yes, there is absolutely something not right with you. He's played games with people's lives before, even the fate of humanity, but this is different. Q is different. He's intense and angry. Card asks, astonished, whether Q is well, and what could possibly be ailing an omnipotent being? I got one right. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What is the cure for that, uh, Q? You know, just... The last more than 24 hours to your doctor. Yes. <laughs> Instead of responding, Q transports them again to another part of the vineyard. Card asks again what Q did with the stargazer and her crew as well as what he wants. Q declines to respond, and when Picard challenges him, Q actually strikes John Luke, something we've never, ever seen before. It's like, what the hell? That's yeah. definitely an emotion we weren't expecting. He no. looks so... Out of it, too. Yeah. Q? Now, is it possible that, because he's trying to blame this all on John Luke. Yeah. But could it also have had an effect on the continuum as well? Yeah, I wonder. Well, hopefully. Hopefully not, because does that mean there's all sorts of Qs running around destroying (laughs) universes and galaxies and acting bizarre? It's bizarre, OQ. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking like with just the are you well i'm like are they somehow pulled in with the borg and they're the ones that were calling out for jean luc <laughs> wow that would be uh, interesting yeah as well. i know it's like really weird to like see because i know yeah, some that the borg couldn't pull. i just wonder if it's not like a mirror a mirror darkly held up to them like even a covid like something infected the queue Ooh. okay that would be nice and like he's <laughs> got a Go back. Okay, you know what? That actually makes sense. Now we're thinking he's got to go back and he's got to fix it. It happened at this particular point. 
And then that's what started messing things up. And then Hughes just kind of been a jerk, like for decades. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> always a jerk. It took a while to get to him. I don't know. He's not a Tarka like butt ache, but right. he's a pain. He's a pain there, Tarka. He's a character on Discovery. Royal pain in the ASS. Yes. <laughs> There's now three letters. Guy- Q. <laughs> Q yeah. gets one letter. He gets three. This kind of open animosity is uncharacteristic of Q. Q expresses frustration that Jean-Luc insists on changing everything except the one way that matters the most. He then clarifies that this isn't a game or lesson he's teaching. It's penance. Q then informs Jean-Luc just how different this timeline is. Guys are polluted. Romulans are working in his chateau as slaves. Yeah, they look comfy. Yeah. Card has trophy skulls of various aliens, people he killed with his own hand. General Martok, Sarek, Goldukot, who's apparently responsible for Card's artificial body in this timeline. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, you know, I had a flashback to Sarek and you killed Sarek? Oh, yes! Oh, oh, I no. was listening to those names. So I'm like, okay, that's a way to pull threads too, but holy crap, really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this timeline is definitely nasty. Got a Nazi kill to it. <laughs> I would say this yeah. is definitely got a. I mean, we know that there's always been political feels, but it's like, whoo, this one had it overt. Yes. Yeah, kind of like the uh, authoritarianism that's been spreading around the world, and a little taste of it in our own country. Yes. Mm-hmm. Jean Luc is understandably horrified by what he sees. The actions of this alternate timeline, General Picard. Q offers Jean-Luc a way out of this world through atonement and perhaps forgiveness. For what, it's not clear. Q assures Jean-Luc in a very empathetic way that he won't let Picard do this alone, but Picard refuses to play the game. Q disappears, leaving Picard seemingly alone in this brutal, strange new world. Yeah, if I he disappears <laughs> and goes to like a continuum or whatever, it's going to come back even more war? Uh, it's very possible. Ooh. Yeah, especially if there's like a virus affecting him. Yeah. Interesting. And I know somebody who could probably create one. <laughs> <laughs> I that love- we'll get to later on. <laughs> I just love that he's like, oh, I won't let you do this alone. And you're thinking, wait, is he going to be along for the ride? And it's like, no, no, no. He's just no. staying with you. Yeah. I'll be watching from the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> Far from you. And, wow, what a strange new world it is. In many ways, it feels reminiscent of the mirror universe that we've seen in Discovery, the original series, and Deep Space Nine. A loathing for aliens and a brutality we are unfamiliar with from the Federation. But in this timeline, it's the Confederation. I was not comfortable with that. I will tell you. No. This is what? As Jean-Luc reviews who he is and the terrible things he's done, Harvey, his android valet, informs him that it's almost time to leave for the president's palette. Apparently, (laughs) it's eradication day. And just, I don't know about you guys, but the feeling of that word, I was like, oh, what? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that definitely gives you the Nazi feeling is they're going to kill anybody and everybody that they even think is possibly against their beliefs yeah it was like oh this this could only go well i'm sure yeah meanwhile seven of nine wakes up in san francisco but the computer refers to her as annika which we do know it's her name but we've never heard anybody really call her that no (laughs) and i loved the visual because like you don't see half her face for the first few moments 
Yeah. And then when they finally reveal she doesn't have Borg implants, she's like, wait, what? What was yeah. going on? <laughs> I like a little test she gives herself. Oh, yes. right? Just to figure out that it's not a dream, because she's like, pain? Feel yeah. this? It's like, wait, I can read that? I'm like, oh, yeah, you can't read read in a dream. I always forget about that. Like, your brain doesn't function that way. But she doesn't have a whole lot of time to figure out what ha- is going on, because her husband arrived? <laughs> yeah. Like, Why? Wait. This guy? Yeah. <laughs> like, when he walks in, it's like, hello, dear. It's like, wait, what? I don't know about you guys. That's, I think the whole what thing started pretty early on with Jean-Luc, and then it just kept going from there. So yes. Like, what? What? <laughs> he well, informs her <laughs> that she only has Because even hours. the cast may ever say that a couple of times. They're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was in good company. That's all. Only four hours until eradication day speech, because she's the confederation president. I love how she tries to play along the best she can until she gets to the office and starts to review her files, <laughs> and then she's like, oh, God, I need mm. coffee and privacy, and uh, let's see, I need to talk to, oh, thank God I found a name. Yes. An update on the war on the Vulcan front. So, again, what? Yeah. But she was able to find Colonel Cristobal Rios, so she's like, I need to talk to him, secure line, because... He's in the front and he'll know things. Yeah, that's it. Like, I don't know about you guys, but seriously, I'm like, is he buying this? (laughs) (laughs) No, he was getting suspicious from the very first minute. That's why I was starting to think that more people knew that things weren't right, but like they couldn't say anything. I just feel like it'd be weird that it's only our little group that knows, but hey, different timelines, I guess. She has a personal update from Rios on a secure line, and it's worth noting that the first husband offers a briefing from General Sisko, Mm. a familiar name you may know if you watched Deep Space Nine, which now I'm like, hmm, where's he at? What's going on with him? I wonder if he's going to be thrown in here now. Bet he looks just as fearsome. Oh, yeah. Chris is all alone aboard a ship in the middle of a combat situation and has absolutely no idea what's going on or why he's shooting at Vulcans. <laughs> he also didn't look like he was too confident in flying his ship because there are some changes. Yes. <laughs> it's like, okay, I get it. Kind of weird. He receives a communication from a Confederation president and takes him a few beats before he realizes it's seven. He does share his theory that someone or something move them to some sort of alternate reality or timeline, and Seven recalls him and his ship back to Earth on presidential order. That's one way to get around everything. Yep. (laughs) Back on Earth, a rebel group is attacking Okinawa, and a very confused Elnor is among them. He tries to get away. Oh my gosh, he's just standing there like, what's going on? And this girl's just telling him every building for a different race, and it's just like, right? oh, this is not good. (laughs) How did Elnor end up here well he tries to get away but he's surrounded by security forces but raffi the security chief takes out her own people to save him and hugs elnor but it's sweet they're both like what's going on i don't know it's like okay let's figure this out and play along i was so grateful that raffi was like in charge and was able to pick up what was happening right away because with everybody else kind of just waking up and they're like what in the world is happening i wonder if like she's just had more time to figure it out or she was just thrown in the situation and just was rolling with it i don't know what what do you guys think yeah i think she was just rolling with it the best she could it just happened to lead her to elnor so 
Yeah, and some of it's a little convenient, how well, they're bumping yes. and finding into each other, but that's okay. You could always say that maybe Q had something to do with it, but I'm sure he did. He said he'd give Picard some help, so I guess he made him close enough, except for Rios, of course. Right. Wait. So Seven is walking with her husband, who is getting more and more suspicious of her, and getting a summary of Eradication Day, a day when the Confederation murders aliens and anyone who works or tries to help them. That's pretty grim. Yep. Today is special because there's a big execution planned. Oh, man. They're going to see Dr. Gerardi to ensure the prisoner is ready. That was pretty convenient, too. Yep. Unsurprisingly, given her anxiety, Agnes is least able to blend into this new reality. It's hard to tell this version of her and the drunk version. They're both kind of goofy. <laughs> I was just assuming she was still hungover. <laughs> she Fair greets day. Seven with a lot of relief and asks how the where Borg implants went, but quickly takes Seven's cues and recognizes she needs to rein it in. They're so funny, too. Elnor and her were the funniest ones in this episode. Seven's husband asks Agnes to bring the prisoner out of the stasis pods, and it turns out to be none other than the Borg Queen. So creepy. That yep. was so weird when we get her. Like I was thinking it was the one from the movie. I was like, wow, she did. She looks great. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what Andy Worshing's reaction was when they offered her that role. I think you can do Borg Queen. Hell yes, I can do Borg Queen. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> oh, but this is the Borg Queen we know through. Uh, she looks more like herself versus the person we saw in Stargazer in, in episode one. She's a shell without without the collective, which presumably has been destroyed. Sure didn't sound like it. Yep. However, yes. However, if something peculiar happens, she recognizes Seven as tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix 01, which is part of Seven's full board designation. Whoa, or, hold on a minute here. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> how does she know that if she doesn't have the collective? What's going on? And if we're in a different world, that was weird. That gets explained away for her temporal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but in that moment, I'm like, wait, how does she know all this? What's going on? So Kind of spooky. That was spooky. Yeah. yeah. And if you want <clears throat> to check more, uh, more up on this, you can get check out uh, Star Trek Voyager Scorpions Part 1 and 2. This is a remarkable book because, as far as we can tell in this reality, Seven was never assimilated. The Borg Queen tells them time has been broken, and Seven explains that the Queen has transtemporal awareness, wow, which allows her to detect alternate timelines and realities. Agnes realizes the significance of this, and there's been a corruption to or a change within the timeline. And that's why they are in this unrecognizable future. Picard arrives at headquarters just in time <laughs> to see Rappi and Elnor in some trouble. They had to walk him in, and I'm sure they're going to use a door instead of, you know, site-to-site transfer. Right. <laughs> it's more dramatic <laughs> that way. Yeah, I had a problem with that on Discovery all the time. Door transporter, come on, make up your mind. Rappi is supposed to be uh, handed over as a prisoner, and she refuses and is challenged for it. Luckily, Jean-Luc intervenes, and Rappi and Elnor are able to go with them to see Seven. Seven pulls the group in on what the Borg Queen told her, and is that, that there's been a divergence in time. That's the final piece of the puzzle for Jean-Luc, who realizes isn't an alternate reality or a mirror universe. Q went back and changed the timeline somehow, which is the Borg we're going to do in uh, First Contact anyway. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He also knows that Q won't restore his timeline until he's certain that they've learned their lesson, though Picard also admits Q seemed unstable in their conversation in the morning. The only solution? To find out more about what the Borg Queen knows. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to be super simple because she's going to be so cooperative. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> this is the first time Jean-Luc has been face-to-face with the Borg Queen since the events of Star Trek First Contact. And it's easy to see how emotional this is for him. She tells him that Q changed just one thing in the timeline back in Los Angeles of 2024, and that has led them here. 
She also tells them that there's somewhere there a watcher to help if they can locate this person. Like like Marvel Comics? Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Get a watcher too? Maybe it's the same one. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) That would be awesome. (laughs) Who do you think it is? I'm going to ask this too at the the end of our... Okay. Podcast well, we here. No, but no, but it doesn't matter. You know, I, I was trying to think that. I don't know if Hanny guesses. Is is it a Noonian Soon type of distant relative or something? Who are we yeah. missing? I mean, it has to be someone from the cast, right? I guess, or at their their distant relative. You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we could get a couple different versions of uh, data running around out there, maybe. Yeah. Well, twenty twenty four. I'm like, I was trying to remember if anything happened from what I remember from. You know, any of the original or next generation. I don't remember anything going back to that point. When was the whale thing? Well, that whatever, whenever that movie came out. Uh, what was that, the 1980s or? Yeah. So, okay, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. All right. Not that. So no. some discovery is what I'm guessing. So, yeah, I, the best guess that I have is something with, yeah, Soong. Same as you yeah. guys, like a distant relative, because that's when I'm guessing something with, I don't want to say microchips. That's not the right word. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Cybernetics. To pick, uh, uh, we're in 2022 now, pretty sure, that they yeah. picked 2024 a couple of years ahead. So we have no idea or a point of reference at all. Right. So yeah. <laughs> something they invented. That's why I'm thinking something with cybernetics. That's the best they got. Because oh, they invented not... a Terminator, you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, isn't that what like Data's brain was? Cyber or Cybertronic? Cyber... I don't remember. Positronic. Oh. Positronic. Dummy. Supersonic. What? Dummies. The Watcher's got to be Guinan. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's so? good. Yeah. They found her in the past, didn't they? But they, but something happened to her? They caused this tilt? No, the, I don't think she's the one who caused this. I think they when took we her. get into the soon storyline, I think that's where we're going to find out who actually caused the breakage in the timeline. Okay. But I think Guinan will be the one that will help them in 2024. They're going to have to explain her looks again. I know. (laughs) This is the way I decided to look here, too. Yeah. Sorry. Let's proceed. Now that, because otherwise (laughs) I'm going to be sitting here just thinking on it forever. (laughs) We're just having dead silence. Card suggests using the gravitational pull of a star to slingshot around the sun and go back in time. Most notably used in Star Trek for the voyage home, but Dr. Girardi points out they need an exceptional mind to keep track of all the calculations. And they don't have Spock on board. Even Girardi knows of Spock. Yeah. As a result, they'll have to take the Borg Queen with them. Say what? <laughs> right. In her baby chair. Yeah. <laughs> with Rios in orbit, they should just be able to beam out and go on their way. But everything is in lockdown because of Eradication Day. That means they'll have to continue this farce a little longer while Dr. Girardi and Rappy work to get them out of there. It's clear that Seven's husband knows there's something very wrong and it's going to become a problem. And then we get this shot of the Golden Gate Bridge, hearing a voice say a safe galaxy is a human galaxy as the Eradication Day festivities begin. Festivities. Yeah, we haven't seen Brett Spiner in this season yet, but it's safe to say we will at some point. There's a holographic statue of Adam Soon in that wide shot, which definitely brings up the question of whether work on artificial intelligence is what changed the timeline. I will tell you, when I heard, yeah, safe galaxy is a human galaxy, all I thought was starship troopers. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, are we killing bugs too? I mean, that's what I kept thinking with that. 
Right. And we, somewhere. where's Soji? She's got to be around here somewhere, I hope. That Seven makes sense. Yeah. Maybe she'll be the one to come in and save the day. I would agree. But why would Q send her back, too? Right. Well, okay. Go ahead. Maybe it's going to be a human version of her back. Right. Yes. Yeah. Seven makes her speech on stage. Agnes works on communication. Rafi tries to bring the shield down so Rios can beam them out. It's tense to say the least, and it's taking too long. I loved how Rafi just said, okay, Elner, sick him. <laughs> yeah. I would like to see how they choreographed that. They did oh, a great I know. Job. That would be awesome. Did he kill those guys? He killed them all, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Choose to live? No, you don't get that option. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The crowd at Eradication Day begins to realize that Jean-Luc is stalling. He's clearly not keen on killing the Borg Queen in front of an audience, and Picard begins to fire at the security personnel surrounding him. Rios gets them out in the nick of time, however they're not out of the woods yet. As Agnes connects the Borg Queen to the ship, much to Rios's uh, <laughs> consternation. Oh my gosh, he's like, what are you doing? No! Yes, <laughs> no! The rest of them fend off forces pursuing the La Serena. A group that includes Seven's husband manages to beam aboard the ship and shoot Elnor. And they've got the entire crew at their mercy as the episode ends. I was, I was so, so surprised. Yeah. Yes! Was, they're going to end it there? I thought, what? I thought there would be a uh, neat little trick. Beam them back or shoot them or something. But nope, to get the upper hand, then boom, it's done. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't believe that's how we ended. And Elmer just laying there like, oh my god, what's happening? <laughs> it was interesting how they pictured the crowd, I thought. Yes. Uh, the bloodthirsty crowd. They all seem to be typical crowd of, the, of an authoritarian society. Having to learn to do without. You know, right. there, there yes. was no, yeah. I, they weren't dressed in rags, but that was a, a kind of a motley looking bunch. And it looks yes, like it was. Uh, yeah. it's a cow public that's bloodthirsty and lives in some state of poverty or level of poverty. I right. Guess. Yeah. They had a lot yeah. of layers on. And, and just yeah. the fact that they're screaming, like, I was like, oh my God. This is like what I was thinking, like, just talking about our humanity in general and like how things have happened, like in the past. That's why I said kind of political, but not necessarily political. Because, like, people at hangings and executions were always there and screaming and like yeah. super happy and like people wanted to dip their handkerchiefs in the blood of the person who was dead and was like this is messed up and then we're <laughs> seeing this on screen and it, it's not dissimilar at all and i was just like this is crazy i can't believe that this is happening and then you look around the world and you're like oh well you know what things are kind of happening this way and this was filmed obviously way before what's going right. on right now yes. in the world so it just has me like oh my gosh this is so crazy <laughs> and i know well, that's uh, the point of it too yeah at least in the writing they got in inspiration from the authoritarian type rules or whatever that right trump, that we were living in, under trump right yeah so we've got that for inspiration also pretty clever. You know, the original Star Trek used to do that all the time, too. I mean, there yes. was always difficulties between black and white people. So they had one episode where the, it was a black, literally black and white characters. One of them was Frank Gorshin who played the Riddler. This is Boomer talk for you, Steve. Yes, oh, absolutely. He played uh, the Riddler in, in Batman. And one half of him was black and the other half was white. And he had another character he fought with whose one half was black, except it was on the other side of his face and the other was white. And of course, they didn't, they were prejudiced against each other because they didn't right. match. Ha! Yep. Unbelievable. So, speaking of Easter eggs, in Boomer Talk, yesterday's Enterprise, this is pretty clever. Early in the episode, Q speaks 
the line to Picard, how very, I'm going to lower my voice, how very in yesterday's Enterprise of you. I can't do his voice. I can do Fred. This is a meta Easter egg as yesterday's Enterprise is the title of a Star Trek The Next Generation episode. Sometimes considered the episode when Star Trek The Next Generation finally hits in its stride. Some Season 3, Yesterday's Enterprise is an appropriate name drop. Uh, pretty clever. It too saw Picard and Enterprise trapped in an alternate, much darker timeline due to a change in history. Also, the uh, back in the study, the trophy room, General Picard's home has a trophy room where he displays what remains of his vanquished foes. That was grim. Yes. <laughs> Among his trophies is, is, is distinctive armor that the Star Trek Discovery, fan, Discovery fans may recognize as belonging to like Klingon Torchbearer. Torchbearer is a ceremonial position given whichever Klingon is responsible for lighting the, the beacon of Kayla, summoning all the great houses of the Klingon Empire to aid. Well, I guess that didn't work out for him. No. <laughs> In Star Trek Discovery's two-part premiere, Michael Burnham accidentally kills Rajak Tumkava's torchbearer, sending in motion events that would lead to a Federation Klingon war. That's right. It was all her fault. Yep. <laughs> and as far as Gaul Tukat is concerned, in addition to relics, Picard's trophy room also includes the skulls of some of his vanquished foes. Star Trek's greatest recurring villains appearing in many episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. According to Q, he is somehow responsible for Picard having a synthetic body in his new timeline. I would, if I was uh, Picard, I would have like, what? Yes. Well, you know, Whoa. Tukat was <laughs> kind no. of jackass through the whole <sighs> thing before anyway. As for General Martok, another Star Trek Deep Space Nine regular in Picard's collection, General Martok was a Klingon military leader during the Dominion War. I love that battle. I think, isn't it like in the last season they had a gigantic battle, set-piece yes. battle, with you know, like it's seemingly thousands of ships. I don't know yeah. how they pulled that off, but they did. For a time, a changeling replaced him and attempted to destabilize the alliance between the Alpha Quadrant powers. The Dominion kept Martok as a prisoner of war. Martok formed a strong bond with Worf and rose to become the Chancellor of the Klingon Empire after Worf defeated Chancellor Gowron in ritual combat, which is also cool. I love Gowron. Yeah. <laughs> he, like, chewed every word. Worf then became the ambassador to Martok's Klingon Empire. Oh, he's so great. Yep. Sad news about Sarek. The timeline Picard killed Director Sarek in the steps of the Vulcan Science Academy. Wow, he was a mean son of a gun. Yes. And the event transpired in front of Sarek's wife and son. Oh, his Vulcan ambassador, who was played by Mark Leonard in Star Trek, the original series in Star Trek The Next Generation, and the original Star Trek movies. He's so great. He had Shakespearean training Yep. as an actor, the uh, Mark Leonard, that is. He's a great actor. James Frayne took over the role of Star Trek Discovery and did a really good job, too. Yes, he did. Assuming certain consistencies between timelines, his son mentioned here is likely to be Spock. Ow. That was, that was cruel. <laughs> yes, very. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know what, I mean, the son might be Spock, but he wouldn't have the same mother, right? Because, like, the whole wrestling yeah, mother. Yeah, like, sorry, probably wouldn't have married a, <laughs> a human yeah, mother, that's for sure. That's why I was like, uh, yeah, I don't think he's like, hey, yeah, let's go hang out. We hate you guys, but, you know, hey, what's up? Maybe it was Spock. <laughs> General Sisko, anyone? Another Star Trek Deep Space Nine Easter egg is when... President Hansen's husband suggests she talk about the war effort with General Sisko. Oh, I was hoping we were going to see him. I know. Uh, this Sisko is only certainly Benjamin Sisko, the lead character of Deep Space Nine. When running Deep Space Nine, Sisko saw more of his fair share of battles, including the lead, leading the war effort against the, the Dominion. It makes sense that he would be a high-ranking military officer. I mean, they really switch things around. Right. So Picard and his allies soon realize they have to travel back in time to make things right. They don't have a time machine, but Picard recalls the slingshot effect, a more rudimentary, relatively speaking. <laughs> what, you don't want to go zipping around the sun and hopefully go back? <laughs> yeah, I know. 
Try not to take us through any suns on the way. A ship must travel at high warp around a celestial body with a massive gravitational pull, like a sun, to create an artificial time warp. Let's do the time warp. (laughs) (laughs) As mentioned by Picard, Kirk's Enterprise pulled off the slingshot on multiple occasions. They did in two episodes of Star Trek's original series, Tomorrow is Yesterday and Assignment Earth. The same crew performed the maneuver again in the stolen Klingon bird of prey in Star Trek for the voyage home. Of course, they had Spock to make all the necessary calculations. Of course. Of course. Boy, that bird of prey was barely hanging on. That was kind of a pile of junk. Yeah. I did have, I did like its like final scene. I mean, before they slung shot when they intercepted that Norwegian whaling ship. Yeah. <laughs> and the harpoon goes clang <laughs> right off it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they panic as soon as they decloak. Oh, oh my God. Oh, that was so great. So <laughs> the cars group has to rely on the Boar Queen. A wonderful see some type of salute to that. Yeah. An Easter egg. <laughs> so let's get into some Adam Soong talk. In an extremely brief Easter egg toward the end of the episode, Brent Spiner's secret new character is fully revealed. And it looks like this specific detail isn't the entire key to the mystery of the altered timeline. Around 4240 timestamp in this episode, just before we get to Eradication Day ceremony, there's a brief shot of San Francisco viewed from the side of the Golden Gate Bridge. Positioned right to the middle of the screen is a holographic statue of someone named Adam Soong. We can hear a recorded voice saying over some kind of a loudspeaker, a safe galaxy is a human galaxy. The voice speaking these words is none other than Brent Spiner. And if you throw on the closed caption, you'll see that it's attributed to the character named Adam. So the riddle is as to who Spiner is playing in season two seems to have been solved. At some point this season, we'll see Spiner in the flesh as a human named Adam Soong and because we hear the Soon saying a safe galaxy is a human galaxy, it feels likely that this is in the altered timeline. This distant ancestor of data is responsible for the entire xenophobic outlook espoused by the cruel confederation that rules Earth. And because Jean-Luc and the gang, <laughs> is, that like, is, is that a comedy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, told by the Borg Queen that the changes to the timeline happened in 2024, it stands to reason that Adam Soon lives in 2024. Probably. Basically, for the season, said, how are they going to bring him back? Right. You know, well, they figured it out. Basically, this Soong is an ancestor of Eric Soong, a 22nd century member of the Soong family. He was also played by Spiner and appeared in the series Star Trek Enterprise. In that three-part episode arc, Borderland, Cold Station 12, and The Arguments, we learned this ancestor of Noonien Soong was not a cybernetist, but instead a genetist who was uh, sympathetic to the genetically engineered Superman, of which Khan was a member. As Data said, in the finale of Picard Season 1, the Soongs are, are an acquired taste. Yeah. Which was basically an understatement that could also be interpreted as the Soon family has a scary reputation for theories about genetics here. Superiority and discrimination based on said theories. Yeah, that fits. Yep. Even when human members of the Soon family, like Moonian and Alton, began making androids like B4, Laura, Data, Soji, etc., at least a couple of those androids, or synths, decided that they were superior to humanity and tried to kill everyone. <laughs> That's what happens. Yes, it does. Every time. <laughs> yep. And then the Terminator all of a sudden. For example, Laura and Sutra, and briefly, all the sins in Star Trek Picard Season 1 have, at one point or another, used racist thinking to justify widespread murder or genocide. So, as of now, in terms of what we know about the lineage of the Soong family, D- Data and Soji are odd exceptions to the more common route people tend to take. Another grim look at us, looking yes. at us for a, through a uh, mirror darkly. <laughs> in other words, because Data and Soji are good people... And are rarely, though sometimes, tempted to assert their android dominance, they usually don't. In this new road not taken timeline, the evil version of Picard has a synth service named Harvey. 
played by Alex Deal. Harvey seems to be the kind of synth model we saw in the regular timeline in Picard Season 1 during the synth attack on Mars. In that timeline, the synths were, in theory, all offshoots of the same basic programming that created data, implying that those synths existed because of Noonien Soong's cybernetic innovations. What a grim future. But what about this timeline? If Adam Soon created some kind of political upheaval in the 21st century, which leads to human imperialism to dominate the Alpha Quadrant, then who invented the sustainable androids? The question may never be answered simply because Picard Season 2 may not linger in this hellish future very long. And yet in the Lost Serena crew is headed back to 2024 to find Adam Soon that were actually just at the beginning of this mystery with the end of the possibly something nobody had could have predicted. Oh, I'm going to get it, though. I'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dave oh, really? I mean, plenty uh, of tinfoil to work on this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we do have some feedback on this episode, as our friend Fred from the Netherlands has provided his thoughts. So let's take a listen. Hello, Steve and Dave. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 2. Really a very nice episode. I gave it a 9 on IMDb. Enjoyed this so much better than Star Trek Discovery. Why not a 10? Well, that's only because of the story a little bit in the sense of that we know these kinds of alterations of the timeline and then trying to go back to the past. But nevertheless, very nice with well-known characters with no discovery-like whisper mode. Although... Burnham did yell in the previous episode. I liked the build up very much. So first with Picard I didn't understand what was happening. And then slowly all the main characters discovered that they were somewhere they didn't understand. I really have to say that they all really quickly adapted to the situation. And even managed not to make all people around them too suspicious. The only one that didn't succeed in that that good was Girati, although it also fits her character to be kind of chaotic, so then it's also okay. So all the discovery of where they are and how everything is played is quite quick, but that's also okay. It was not too quick, so that it became unlikely. One thing I didn't understand, but that's always the problem with time travel, is that they are in an alternative timeline, uh, but still they suddenly came into a life they already had lived in that timeline. So there are no duplicates. So you're actually putting a consciousness of another timeline in the person, in the body of a different timeline. And, well, that's that's a kind of new, but although if you have seen the series Travelers, then you have seen something like it. Not exactly the same, because it then gets into another person's body, but in this case, in your own body in another timeline. Well, these time travel stories always melt your brain. And last but not least, very nice how Patrick Stewart, or perhaps you could say Picard, plays the role of the general. Very tough, strict, etc., It's a bit reminiscent of the mirror universes in Star Trek, the original series and Discovery. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Well, thank you, Fred, for that wonderful feedback. Sounds like you're uh, liking uh, Picard. That's good. Yeah, IMDb, uh, everybody, gave it an 8.4 in total. 
compared to his nine. So he liked it more than the collective uh, right. of people. I can be punny too, Fred. <laughs> but as far as the duplicates are concerned and going back in time and being yourself, it's got to be a Q thing. That sounds like the easiest explanation, but uh, that's what Q would do, really. You'd have to be the awareness of yourself and thrown into a an alternate timeline, you know, that was changed. He's, Q wouldn't do it any other way. Right. Let's yeah. be honest. You got to suffer. It's just going to be wibbly yeah. wobbly. Come on. Yes. <laughs> Up is down. Left is right. Mm-hmm. It's basically what this is here. Yeah. And I thought Patrick Stewart did an amazing job in this episode, not only as Jean-Luc having to realize what this timeline Jean-Luc did, which was just horrifying. Yeah. But then turning right back around and being able to play off that horrible person to make it believable to the others around him. I, I thought that was an absolutely amazing job. That was yeah, disturbing. He, yeah. <laughs> I like how he, he just makes his face meaner and he lowers his voice even for him. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen him like in a role where he's just been mean and cruel. And so then <laughs> seeing this, I'm like, oh, gosh. I don't like this. I don't like this at all. <laughs> yep. Not good to see a angry Patrick Stewart in yeah. anything. <laughs> well, any more thoughts on Fred's feedback? Uh, no. No. All right. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 10 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. You can go to www.fangirlzone.com and click on our contacts page where you have links to all of the ways to get a hold of us via email or various social media. And if you want to tweet with us, you can go to Twitter and you can find Steve at, at SalyerSteve. Dave is over at the real underscore ID underscore Dave. I'm at Jetta528. Or you can talk to the collective of us <laughs> at, <laughs> at FGZ Podcast. That's Fangirls on Podcast. Please review and rate us on iTunes and any other platform you may use for your podcast. Good ratings and reviews help the fans of the show find us as there's a lot of Star Trek Picard podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and I hope you like our podcast. Don't forget to check out the other great Fangirls on podcasts. Well, our third episode is on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, apropos for Patrick Stewart to be starring mm-hmm. on the show in, on St. Patrick's Day. And as always, we don't get a title until Tuesday prior to the episode. So <laughs> until then, <laughs> remember, I am Sean Fangirl S. And we got Pat Oswald as a cat in this one. I will now need Alan Tudyk as a bird in the next. <laughs> nice. This is Chief Engineer Steve. You are more than just a piece. Why, you're the very board upon which this game is played. Meow. And this is Red Shirt Dave. You know, I wouldn't mind rolling out of bed with Jerry Ryan every morning, even if she was serving scrambled balls for breakfast. <laughs> what? <laughs>